It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to NetIP Spotlight, Live Your Potential. We invite guest experts to speak on a variety of trending topics that matter to you. I'm Jasmine Alawalia, your host, and I want to warmly welcome you to our show this evening. I know everyone's crazy busy these days and appreciate your investing your valuable time in joining us this evening. To give you a lay of the land, our guest speaker and I will be discussing his insights for about 20 minutes. I'd like to give everyone a heads up that after about 20 minutes of discussion between our guest speaker and myself, you will have the opportunity to ask him any questions which you may have. So with that, let's jump in. Today's guest speaker is Judge Paul Gruel. Judge Gruel is United States Magistrate Judge for the Northern District of California. He's a member of the Northern District's Technology and Patent Local Rules Committee. He also is co-chair of the Federal Circuit Bar Association Judges Committee and co-chair of the Federal Courts Committee of the Santa Clara County Bar Association. Judge Gurl receives a law degree from the University of Chicago and his undergrad degree from MIT. He's a former president of the South Asian Bar Association of Northern California and the South Asian Bar Association of North America. Welcome to the show, Judge Gurl. Thanks, Justina. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you on. And um, why don't we start the show by you telling us about your path to becoming a judge? I'm sure our listeners would be fascinated. I know I am. Well, uh, the path to becoming a judge, at least in my case, was really first and foremost the path to becoming a lawyer. Um, I okay. started uh, off uh, in uh, a little town in northern Ohio called Stowe, where I grew up uh, as one of uh, a, a small number of Indian American kids in the early and mid 70s, and uh, after graduating from high school, I, as you mentioned earlier, I got my college degree and my law degree, and after that, I had to sort of figure out what I wanted to do in the practice of law. And like a lot of law students, I was eager to cut my teeth clerking for uh, a federal judge or two, and so that's what I did. I first clerked for a district court judge, a trial court judge in northern Ohio, where I was from. And then after that, I uh, clerked for a judge on the U.S. Court of Appeals in Washington, D.C. And from there, I entered private practice. And after about 14 years of private practice, I had the opportunity to join this court and was appointed in December of 2010 as a U.S. Magistrate Judge here in San Jose, California. 
Wow. So tell us, um, this is so interesting because as you mentioned, you know, as a, as a law student, um, there's so many paths that one can take. What was it about, um, you know, the federal clerkship? What was it about, um, about that that really excited you, that appealed to you in navigating well, your way to that? Sure. Well, for, you know, I was one of those kids who knew pretty early on that I wanted to practice law, even before I really knew what that meant. Um, I wasn't quite—I <laughs> okay. wasn't—I wasn't quite born with a briefcase in my hand, but I was pretty close. Um, but like a lot of uh, kids in our community, I was encouraged to consider other career paths, perhaps more traditional and secure career paths. So um, I, I got a engineering degree and. From okay. there, I headed off to law school, but but knew knew pretty early on I wanted to be a, a lawyer and really a trial lawyer um, uh, even before I I started started in law school. And as a trial lawyer, it was hard to imagine a better way to learn what worked in court and what judges cared about than to go work for a judge and see what he or she cared about. And so I did it not only once, I did it twice. And for me, it was a, an, an, an un an exceptional opportunity. I mean, really something uh, I could not imagine uh, doing um, anything else or anything better. So, so that's what got me into court and working for a couple of federal judges. I got to see how lawyers did some things well and did some things not so well, frankly, and was really kind of inspired by the former. Um, and in a, a strange way, inspired by the latter, too, because I always knew that no matter how much I might struggle or, uh, or, or, have, or feel, uh, you know, had to work to, to get ahead in the practice of law, um, knowing that there were lawyers out there who go of it and maybe not <laughs> doing it so well gave me the courage to try, knowing I could at least do that much and hopefully much more. Oh, that is so interesting. Well, I have to ask you, now that you, uh, now that you mentioned that, I've, I've got to ask you, um, Tell me one of the best practices you've observed by any 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 lawyer at any point in your career, and I'm going to ask you one of the one of the maybe worst for our aspiring lawyers or lawyers among us who uh, who could learn from that. So, what's one of the best things? What's one of the least best things or worst things actually that you've uh, that you've witnessed or just vicariously heard about through your years? Well, sure. The, you know, the best lawyers whether we're talking about lawyers in a little country courthouse or at the Supreme Court or anywhere in between. The best lawyers, I think, consistently focus on one thing, which is figuring out what the problem is for the court or for the jury and providing Mm -hmm. the answer. And so whether it's uh, here in my court or when I was trying cases myself as a trial lawyer, when I would see lawyers come to court with that attitude and that perspective, a problem-solving attitude and perspective, and, and provide answers to the people who are responsible for making the decisions, I knew I, knew I was watching something special or, or, or going up against something special if they were my opponent. Um, and I think that, that sort of same spirit has carried you know, forward even today when I'm sitting on the bench now, when I see lawyers okay. really coming to court looking to solve the problem rather than give a fancy speech or go off on tangents and issues that don't matter, I'm really impressed and really inspired. Ah, interesting. Okay. Um, now, I imagine that no day is the same for a U.S. District Court judge, but that said, will you share with us what, uh, what is a day in your life that a judge tend to look like? So what, I would say the best part about serving as a judge, and this I think is true no matter what kind of court you may serve on or at what, in what capacity, the best part about being a judge is what, exactly what you suggest, which is no two days really are the same. Um, but I think you know, there, 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 are, there are some things that do um, 
stay largely the same from day to day, in my court anyway. Um, so you mentioned that I, I sit as a, as a trial judge in the Northern District of California. And as a federal court trial judge, um, mm -hmm. most of what I focus on is what happens in the courtroom. Um, you, might, you might imagine a, a typical day being something like the following. At 8.30, I, I often begin my criminal calendar, which means I hear criminal cases that have been assigned to me um, uh, and, that, and that require immediate attention. And in, on my criminal calendar, I am responsible as a magistrate judge for providing defendants who have been indicted and arrested with information about their case. So I will explain to them what they've been charged with. I will explain to them what the maximum penalties are that they might face. I will explain to them their rights under our Constitution in defending themselves against this case, uh, in the mm -hmm. case. Uh, I'll also uh, perhaps consider a request by the government to detain that person uh, as the case moves forward in something what we call a, a bail hearing. So all of those things are happening in case after case after case just on that one calendar beginning at, you know, typically it's 8.30 in my court. By 10 okay. or 11 o'clock, I may move on to any number of other kinds of cases. And the, one of the wonderful things about federal court is that uh, the cases not only change day to day, they change hour to hour. So at 10 o'clock, I may have a, an intellectual property case. Uh, here in the Northern District of California, here in Silicon Valley, we see a lot of cases involving patents and copyrights. So I may have a case involving those issues at 10. 11.30 might bring a civil rights case where an individual has charged a police officer or a police department with violating his or her cival rights. After, you know, after, that, case may, uh, after that case, there may be uh, cases involving securities fraud, antitrust. Uh, there could be other criminal matters in the afternoon involving drug conspiracies, immigration violations. It's really a huge mix of cases that really changes every day and every hour in a way that I can't, I, I can't tell you how much I enjoy. And that goes on and on and on throughout the day until the, the courtroom is finally closed around 5 o'clock. Now, once the courtroom is closed at 5 o'clock, the work doesn't end. And in a lot of ways, it just begins because then I retire to my chambers where I, I, I turn to the work of reading briefs for the cases that are coming the next day, mm -hmm. writing opinions in cases where I have to issue written decisions uh, uh, for a case. And I also have to tend to all the administrative matters that are involved in running a court chambers and running a court docket. So that's a little bit of, of I think, it gives you a little bit of a sense of how it works. And, and, it, and it really, it's, it's, it's never dull and it's never quite the same. Never dull. That is, that is fascinating, the, the diversity of, of what you see. Um, I imagine with that diversity of these different cases that you have many, many tales to tell from your experiences um, as a judge and possibly, you know, as, as a litigator prior to that. Any, any come to mind to share with, our, with me and our listeners at this point? Sure. Well, I, I, one, of the, one of the real pleasures I have in my work is that um, as a trial judge, I try a lot of cases, and uh, most mm -hmm. of my cases are, in fact, jury trials. So I really enjoy bringing members of the public in and explaining to them the process and really inspiring them and empowering them to serve as a partner with the court. In, in most cases with a jury, while, while I'm responsible as the judge for deciding what the law is, the jury is responsible ultimately for deciding what the facts are and what the outcome of the case yeah. should be in light of that law. One of the things I, I really enjoy 
is is, expl- is is working with members of the of the community and the public in that capacity. From time to time, it may surprise you, not everyone is quite as enthusiastic about jury duty as I am. And so I often have to, uh, I often have to uh, break down some, some resistance and, and hopefully mm-hmm. not just get people willing to serve but also excited to serve. And, and so uh, after a, a trial is done, it's normally my practice to meet with, jur- meet with the jury and thank the jurors for their time and thank them for their service and answer questions they may have about the process. And one of the most satisfying parts of my job is when I have an individual who initially was very skeptical about serving as a juror. Either they were, uh, either they were disappointed that they were selected or outright hostile to the idea of having to give up days or weeks of their time. And after the trial is over, hearing from that same uh, reluctant juror nothing but praise for the system, nothing but praise for the process, that, that's a good day and something that gets me excited to come in the next day and do it all over again. Oh, that's pretty amazing. I mean, I, you know, not, not everyone, you know, on the bench is doing that. I think that's, that's pretty amazing um, in terms of, you know, representing the field and representing, you know, the law. So I, I think that's amazing. Um, yeah, there's, there's, I think a huge part of the job that, that I, mm-hmm. and, the, and, the, and the role uh, that I see in educating the public and serving the public and, and part of that service is explaining to the public what it is we do and why it matters. And so whether it's in, in talking to jurors or meeting with members of the community, um, it, it, I think it's just critical for, for, for all, for all uh, branches of the government, but especially the courts, to explain the process and to, and to constantly educate the public on what it is we're doing and why the work here matters. And it's something I really enjoy doing. Well, you know, speaking of which, educating the public, what have you found to be some of the biggest misconceptions that, you know, the jurors, um, since you really do, uh, you know, follow them and then go ahead and um, have that debriefing with them, which is like said, pretty amazing. Um, what have you found some of the biggest pre- misconceptions they may have about whether it be the system or what their role is or what have you? Has anything come to mind? Yeah, a lot of a lot of a lot of people come to the court I think with a lot of preconceptions and fixed notions about what it is that happens here on a daily basis. Um I think a lot of people frankly are surprised that we even have juries to decide uh, all kinds of issues that are put to them in these trials. Most people understand that in a criminal case a jury will decide uh, whether a defendant is guilty beyond a reasonable doubt or not. Mm-hmm. Um, fewer okay. Fewer members of the public understand that in most civil cases, jurors also are required to decide issues that will will ultimately turn the case or resolve the case one way or the other. So, for example, I mentioned uh, earlier that um, this court has a large number of high technology cases that involve intellectual property disputes and patents in particular. Many people are surprised to learn that under our Constitution, the the, 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 the the typical patent case is resolved not by a judge like me w- with special training or experience in the area, but by regular citizens who are called upon to decide who's, who's, who's telling the truth, who's more persuasive, and who's not. And so um, I, I enjoy exposing the, the community to that responsibility and also seeing the magic of a jury work because – in most cases, I have I have seen this happen. 
you have eight or nine or 12 members of the public who have absolutely nothing in common with one another, except that they all receive the summons to come to my court on a given day and in a given time. And when you see mm -hmm. a group of eight or 10 or 12 people with nothing in common come together around a, a common problem, which is the case, and have to work together to resolve that problem and reach a consensus given all sorts of different experiences in life, given all sorts of different backgrounds that they bring to the bring to the court, it's a really magical thing to see work. And I have to say, more often than not, and most of the time, in fact, it works wonderfully. So I'm very proud of what, what, what we do here. Well, now for our listeners who are listening to all of this and maybe contemplating a career in the law, whether they are you know, starting on their career or, or even a career transition into the law, what, um, what in your view are the factors um, that one would be well advised to consider in deciding to pursue a career in the law? I think of law as fundamentally being about solving problems for people. And lawyers solve problems, judges solve problems, other members of the court and legal community solve problems. But, but if you're someone who really enjoys the challenge of figuring out what someone's problem is and coming up with a solution, I think law can be tremendously rewarding. Now, you can have that same experience in all sorts of other fields, right? Law, I'm sorry, mm -hmm. medicine, engineering, uh, all sorts of different things. Um, but I think people don't tend to think of law in that same way. And that has certainly been my experience, that when I have had clients as a practicing lawyer, when I now have parties in front of me, when they come to me with a problem and I can provide them with a solution, it's tremendously satisfying work. Now, whether, whether to study law or practice law, of course, depends on, on, on a lot more than just whether you enjoy solving problems. I always encourage students who are thinking about attending law school to really think long and hard about what it is they want to do after law school and to not look at law mm -hmm. school as just a, a way station on the way to the rest of their life. Because the fact of the matter is, in 2014, law school is very expensive, it's very sure. difficult, and the job market has changed dramatically. So I don't think it's something that you can do casually and, and just cast aside even if it ultimately isn't what you want to pursue. I think you have to look at it as, a means to an end, whether you want to end up practicing law or not. And one of the most valuable reasons, I think, to go to law school is to learn how to think like a lawyer, even if you don't want to work like a lawyer. Absolutely. As you know, what you just said in terms of the problem solving really, really resonates in terms of the value of, of, uh, of a legal education in that sense. And um, really appreciate your sharing your insights with us, Judge Grohl. I'm wondering if you have any last thoughts, any take-home message you'd like to share with our listeners before we give our listeners a chance to ask you questions? I would just love to see uh, more members of our community think about law and think about public service practicing law as a career. Uh, as I mentioned, before I became a judge, I practiced uh, in, uh, law for about 14 years. I was in private practice working for large law firms and small boutiques, and I loved every minute of it. I loved trying cases. I loved appearing in court. I loved writing briefs. Um, but I have to say, as satisfied as I was in that, in that world, it, 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 it just could not compare to what I've been able to do in the three and a half years uh, serving on this bench. Um, there's just something really uh, inspirational about coming to work every day and working with other people, other judges here, other staff members, who, who really share the sense of mission 
in the public court in, in, in public service and in the work that the uh, courts do. So um, I, I think that if that is something that appeals to you as a person, this could be a tremendously satisfying car uh, career and career path to think about. So I'll leave it at that. Well, thanks, Judge Gruel. And everyone, now's your chance to ask Judge Gruel any questions that you may have. I'd like to remind you that if you have a question, please go ahead and press 1, and we'll take your question. All right. So I'm going to take the caller from area code 847. Last four is 8094. Welcome, caller. You're on the line. Hi, uh, Judge Girl. This is Ritu Singh. I just want to thank you so much for being on the call tonight. Hi, Ritu. You're most welcome. And I wanted to ask you, this kind of I think tailors well from your last statement there. Um, we met at the Saba North America conference. I know you've been heavily involved um, in nonprofit volunteering and in that organization in particular. What your thoughts are about being um, South Asian and an attorney and the importance of nonprofit volunteering and what some advice you might be about picking the right one? Thanks for your question, Ruthie. One of the things I really enjoy about the legal profession is that it allows you to pursue whatever your personal ambitions are, whatever they may be, whether it's to be someone who argues in front of the Supreme Court or to have a huge practice in commercial litigation, while at the same time pursuing um, public public good and, and doing, doing important public service work. Um, even when I was building my practice uh, trying patent cases before I came to the court, it was really important to me to do pro bono work, to be involved in bar associations, and to, and to be a member and a leader in community organizations. So I think law is rather unique in that it gives you an opportunity to do all of those things in parallel rather than serially in your career. Now, uh, at different stages of your career, there, there are obviously opportunities to focus and really, and really turn to one or more of those different uh, uh, goals or, 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 or tasks. But I think you know, it's very important, uh, it, not only for the public good, but for the personal good, to pursue opportunities in public service, to do nonprofit work, even as you're building your career in the law. And that's something I've tried to do, and I've been very fortunate to be able to do. Well, thank you very much. I do appreciate that advice. And I'm going to take caller from 201, last four digits of 6222. Welcome, caller. Judge Crowell, thanks so much uh, for taking the time. This is Vic. Uh, you mentioned near the end of the discussion uh, that it is valuable to know how to think like a lawyer, but you also mentioned earlier that going to law school has become very expensive. Uh, would you be able to share a way of learning how to think like a lawyer without earning a law degree? <laughs> well, I'm sure the deans of the law schools, uh, Vivek, would have my head if they heard this, but uh, let me try. Uh, you know, I think the short answer is that um, there are ways to study law without taking on six figures of debt going to law school. The simplest way would be to read cases. And of course, that, that's how it used to be done before there were law schools. This sounds a bit uh, perhaps extreme, but uh, I have to say I still read published opinions from the Supreme Court um, all the time. And I do that so that I can understand not only the particular legal issues that they may be discussing, but also to better appreciate and develop a sense of how the justices think and express 
uh, their thinking because I think that ability to express that thinking with clarity and, and, and in a persuasive way is really what, what really separates the, the, the good from the great. So there are, of course, plenty of opportunities to read and study case law um, in, in, uh, online and elsewhere that wouldn't require you to go to law school. But I have to say one of, the, one of the most valuable parts of attending law school or taking at least law school classes in college or in graduate school is that you, you, you do so with other people who, who share that same interest and passion. And in law in particular, so much of the learning is collective in nature that I think the model of studying law alone by yourself uh, without the opportunity to, to really discuss it and debate it with others is selling yourself short. So those are at least a few ideas. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. Well, thanks for taking our listeners' questions, uh, Judge Grill. What is, um, what's the best way for our listeners to contact you in the future if, uh, if they'd like to do so? Sure. I'd love to, uh, to continue the conversation with anybody who may be interested. The best way to reach out to me is through my email address. Uh, my email address here at the court is paul, that's P-A-U-L, underscore graywall, G-R-E-W-A-L, at C-A-N-D dot U-S courts, with an S, dot gov. Thank you very much, Judge Grail. And in case you joined us late, who would like to share the show with people in your life, I'd like to remind you that a recording of today's radio show will be sent out and appreciate your hanging out with us. Make sure to join us for next month's show, and we hope you'll be joining us at the 23rd Annual NetIP Conference this Labor Day weekend in Blana. Have a great night, everyone. Take care. You can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.